Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Daniel Knox is our first in a very, very long time. Daniel Knox is one of our uh, favorite uh, and oldest guests that have ever been on the show. Oldest not in terms of age, but in terms of time spent. I think he was on one of the first 10 episodes and we're uh, well into the 600-somethings. He's been on the show since 2008. You've been hearing his music as uh, bumper music for the show pretty much as long as uh, you've been listening to the show. What you're listening to is by Daniel Knox right now. I've been supporting this man, not like financially, but I've been a fan of his for a very long time. Uh, If you've heard the show, you've probably heard me plug his stuff. It's available at DanielKnox.com. It's also in the podcast description. It's got a new Mr. Rogers record, a somewhat new uh, Twin Peaks record, a somewhat new uh, LP, a huge fan of all of it. Uh, You've heard me blather on about it for a very long time. If you're listening to this on youmeetthemeverybody.com, you can clearly watch the music video for one of the songs from that Mr. Rogers record. If you're listening to this on Spotify or iTunes, that's great. Thank you for listening. We don't get anything from that. And that's why we have a Patreon account because it's 2020 and things aren't going well. We have a Patreon account. Please consider donating it. Without further ado, my conversation with Daniel Knox. We're sort of living on reverse schedules here. This uh, It's currently 8.16 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 716 where you are you woke up at 4 p.m and you went to sleep at 8 a.m uh, yeah i woke up at 6 30 a.m i am still awake i know why i'm living this schedule why are you living this schedule uh for a lot of reasons the first of which has to do with uh being kicked out of high school when i was 16 and i got a paper route and it was just a great way to avoid people to uh stay up all night and um, deliver the papers when the sun comes up, sleep while everybody's going about their business. And then by the time I wake up, everybody's kind of going home and going to bed and I got everything to myself. And then uh, eventually I got a job as a projectionist and that is primarily a night shift, especially on the, on the weekends when uh, you know, I run the midnight films and those start at midnight end at usually at two I get home at like three or four and then, you know, don't get to bed until a little after that because you can't just go right to sleep. So that's just been the schedule that I've always really adhered to. And I think I, it's much nicer to try to do your work when you can start your day and all the emails are there to be answered immediately. You get it out of the way and then nobody's going to really bother you after that. Yeah, you're right. You wake up and you deal with the end of everybody else's day and then they're out of your hair, and you can kind of do as you like. When you started this schedule, the internet didn't exist, but now it does. So do you find yourself gravitating towards people who are uh, overseas because it's their daytime and because you could have those interactions uh, quickly, or do you, or does that not matter whatsoever? Gra- gravitating toward them in what way? Well, because if someone's in Belarus or if someone's in the United Kingdom – you're able to interact with them in a way where it's their like it's their noon and it's it, it's your noon as well in a weird way. Yeah, I mean my you know the publicist that I've worked with and the the distributor that I work with now, um, one of them anyway, uh, uh, the one that makes the vinyl for me is is in the UK, and so it's actually pretty advantageous for me to be doing my business kind of on their time. Um, in terms of like who finds my material i don't know i mean uh i definitely you know when i do like live streams and things like that i definitely get a lot of people in 
in Portugal and the UK mm-hmm. t- tuning in. Uh, we're talking about overseas. Uh, a lot of my friends that are from the UK that live in the States are okay that they're here. They're not regretting it, but everyone that I know that has left the United States of America is happier not in the United States of America during the coronavirus. Are you glad you're currently in the United States of America? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I don't want to be here at all. Where do you I, wish you were? Where do I wish I was? I wish I was in Portugal or Estonia. Those are the two places I would love to be. I wouldn't mind being in England either, although, you know, they got their own problems. Sure. But I I um I I would take I would take a lot less than that. That's where I would love to be. I would love to be in Portugal or Estonia, two mm-hmm. countries that I love where the people are 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 nice and and the food is great and everything is, you know, really kind of safe and beautiful. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I'd go just about anywhere else right now. I, I, I got, I got to get out of here. Do you feel that? Cause you and I have had these conversations for over a decade about leaving and you seem to be more, uh, overseas where I'm more, I got out of Chicago. Um, uh, I want to go to Canada really bad. <laughs> have you been to Canada? Just parts, but um, it's I, nice, man. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if I could do it because uh, of the cold, or you, no, that's not such an issue. It's more just like there doesn't seem to be much there uh, to do. Okay, and so what do you do? But here's the thing: once you take away everything you could do here, what's there to do here? That's a fair. <laughs> that's a fair point, but. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I got this weird feeling there. I, maybe it's cause I, I got pulled over and I've been pulled over in every state that I've been to, but I, I, I got pulled over in, in Canada for, for speeding and, and the guy was just so weird about it. It's like this weird, he, he wrote me this really big ticket, but he was so nice about it. And everything about that interaction just seemed like, you know, that kind of that weird, uh, what do they call it? Minnesota nice. Oh yeah. You know? It's like that in Canada, but it's like way worse. And um, not speaking, I'm not meaning to speak ill of Canadians. Uh, I love a lot of Canadians. Um, and it's a pretty, it's a really pretty place. I just didn't feel at home there. I didn't feel like I could. Um, also, I think, you know, some of the shows I played, I felt like they didn't quite get my humor. Sure. Although I shouldn't say that in Toronto, I had a really good show. So I don't know. Um, well, that's where I want to go. I want to go to Toronto. I want to go to their big city. Oh. Well, Toronto passes for Chicago in the movies, so and that's why I uh, want to go there. <laughs> it's not too different. I mean, it's weird. Like you'll you'll kind of squint a little bit, and there'll be parts of it that do feel like that. But I can always tell when I'm watching a movie, and it's uh, it's Toronto. So, where is home right now? Is it Springfield or is it Chicago? In terms of feel, in terms of uh, feel, yeah. What feels like home? I know where you literally live, but I'm talking about what. Where is when people say "Where's home"? What do you say? Uh. I mean, I live in Chicago. I don't know if I feel at home here. Got it. I, I, I felt at home in Portugal. I felt okay, so at home did... in Estonia, but I don't. I don't. You know, I live. My 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 carcass resides in Chicago. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, what about Estonia and what about Portugal makes it feel like home? Uh, just how, just how welcoming everyone is. How. Uh, how beautiful it is there, how, you know, there's also, there's this kind of tension that people carry 
here and in, in a lot of other places that they just don't seem to have there. Mm. Um, mind you, I've only been to Estonia once, so this is kind of a surface for that. For Estonia, I'm just sort of like, you know, I just had a really great experience there. Sure. I don't know for sure if that would be where I would want to live, but I definitely feel that way about, about Portugal um, because it's just, you know, everybody uh, just feels a little bit more at ease and comfortable in what they're doing. And everybody seems to, to be enjoying what they do. Uh, you don't see that very often. You know? do, you, do you think there's anywhere in, in the United States that has that? feel other than like hawaii maybe i mean i think there are places where that feel is somewhat cultivated and manufactured for a select amount of people okay i think there are places where if you have a certain amount of money in america you can live very well and be very well, comfortable sure 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 but i but i don't think that that's true for you know the, the difference for me is that it, like in portugal everybody on the ladder just seemed to you know which isn't to say that they don't have their own share of suffering like everybody but i just i just my impression of the place um just from knowing people there and from and from performing there and, and spending a lot of time there uh, is that people really love where they are. They love what they do. They, they explore their interests and, and are, you know, have a contentment that I, I have not really seen elsewhere. Which is a very wonderful transition point to your most recent two albums, which are not, uh, it's your first two albums that aren't your original material. It's That's uh, correct. It's a Mr. Rogers record, and previous to that was a uh, David Lynch. Well, is it, is it David Lynch or Angelo Badalamenti or just Twin Peaks? What should I refer to it as? Specifically Twin Peaks. Okay. So, yeah, let's start in reverse order. Uh, the Mr. Rogers record, clearly, I like. I, I, I You and I have talked about this also for more than a decade. Uh, why now? Why pull the trigger? And I know that this is not a COVID-related release. I know that this is not a um, George Floyd-related release. You and I have been talking about this for a long time. Why now? I mean, um, so I recorded it in January, and there's no there's no real catalyst for me putting it out except that it's that it was ready to go, and it felt like. Um, I didn't really want to sit on it anymore. I wanted people to hear it. I do feel like there's a benefit in the current climate to listening to it, but I think that that's really, you know, the, the, the testament to uh, Fred Rogers' work is that it kind of, it doesn't really necessarily have to feel right for any certain time. I think it's, mm -hmm. there's no, there's no wrong time for it, for things like uh, uh, compassion and, and, uh, forgiveness and uh you know all of the things that he kind of addresses in in his work and, and in those songs specifically i'm glad you didn't literally quote one of his most famous songs what's that well it's in you are my friend any time right. is the right time uh <laughs> this guy Which changes... I, it's funny because the, the album is called you are my friend I and i didn't do that song on the record uh this guy's got this top five most influential guys in my life is Mr. Rogers. And I went to the Pittsburgh children's museum before I had a kid alone driving back from Chicago to DC. That was inappropriate. I felt very awkward. I was the only single person there <laughs> like breaking down and like positive tears. When you see the cardigans and the, and the puppets yeah. and stuff, it's just, it's, you're not setting a good example for the kids that have no idea why you're there. <laughs> um, 
So I and I could pontificate for days, if if not longer, about why this man changed my life. But did he change your life? Did he help form who you are? He did, and uh, kind of at two very integral points in my life. So you know, initially, um, I as a little kid. I watched Mr. Rogers and I would cry when it was over. And, you know, my mom told me about that. And, but the thing, the thing for me was I, I, I really, I liked to be sad mm-hmm. and I didn't know why I liked to be sad. And I didn't, you know, it feels sort of, you feel sort of guilty for wanting something that you know, isn't good for you, but really it's not, you know, what I kind of came to understand later was that it's not that I wanted to be sad. It's that I was sad and I Got wanted it. to act out on it in a way that, that made it, you know, that made me understand it a little better. And I think, you know, one of the, the, the great things about his his work and his songs is that he um, acknowledges feelings that are often kind of dismissed or swept under the rug for children. You know, um, they tell, you know, they tell children, don't cry. Uh, you know, they, they tell you to cheer up. Um, they don't just address the normalcy of like feeling bad or feeling guilty about something or feeling shame about something. Um, you know, and, or if they do, they do in such a melodramatic way that all it does is kind of increase the sense of like intimidation about those feelings. And so for me as a kid, you know, here's someone who's telling you that it's okay to feel sad, that it's a normal part of life, that, that you can cry, but also telling you in a way that is very direct and very, um, you know, you feel spoken to, you don't feel like you're, you're, you're a like an audience member, you feel like like you're a friend. The not the interesting thing, but the thing that I always want to tack on when that point is raised about Fred Rogers is there's no adult programming that validates feelings either. It's it's not like right. what like Grey's Anatomy. I don't know why I picked Grey's Anatomy, but it's not like a major network show is talking about feelings to adults. And I think that once Mister Rogers is over, you get Sesame Street for a little longer, and that's about. It. It when it comes to being okay with every single feeling, it's just denied. Right. I wonder if yeah. that's an American thing. I wonder if that's an American pop culture thing. I don't think it's just an American thing. Um, you know, I don't think so. But that you know that leads me to another thing about the just I'll I'll just mention again about the Portuguese. Uh, I was sort of wondering why a lot of my music went over really well there, and in fact, they don't know who Mister Rogers is at all. In hmm. fact, in Europe. In Europe, nobody knows who he is. Wow. Much to my, much to my, uh, you know, regret. But like, nobody there knows who he is. They they know about the Tom Hanks movie, but that's like it. Wow. And it's a kind of a, it's kind of shocking. Like you would think, right, that it would be a thing like, you know, like Mickey Mouse or Big Bird or whatever. Like they would just know who it was. They have no idea because it was PBS. Because mm-hmm. it was something that wasn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. sort of like that that iconic thing for them. Um, and didn't go really, really happen over there. But anyway, I think in Portugal, like they, they, they really understand and accept sadness as a way of life, mm. as a part, as a part of life, I should say. And like, um, so like they have music that is really, really sad, but they don't find it depressing. And I think here and, and, and in, in a lot of Europe, like they, sadness is dealt with in that, yeah. in that way that it's, oh, that's depressing. That's too dark. You know, and I've heard that said about my music before and, and in ways where I felt like, oh, I thought that was kind of uplifting because yeah. here I was trying to address something and the commonality between you and you and me, you know, as the listener to say, uh, I feel sad. Sometimes you feel sad. It's OK to feel sad. You know, like 
that's just a part of that's just a part of your world. And and that's something that Mr. Rogers did incredibly well with with really great uh, articulation, I think. It bums me out, but it doesn't surprise me that I gravitate towards your music for that same reason. Uh, when I say your music, I mean the songs that you write in addition right. to the Mr. Rogers stuff. But also, you've known me for a very long time. That's the, that's like all I want to talk about on this show and uh, in real life, I just want to talk about the dominant emotions that most people are afraid of. And I wonder if it's a Mr. Rogers thing. I don't think it's just Mr. Rogers, but I think being single parent, only child, having that guy around so much made it sort of desirable. Like I still gravitate towards that type of art that is off putting to a lot of people, which is probably really bad for your commercial prospects. If if I'm a fan of you, that's probably bad. (laughs) It's well, kind of true. Thanks. I mean, I, I I can't I can't say it's not true. Yeah. Um. You know, you brought up an interesting thing about him, though. Uh, um. In terms of, the, you know, Mister Rogers being a man on TV that was and an adult on TV, but a man more specifically who was not uh domineering and telling you what to do and who was very gentle and who showed that kind of sensitivity, which was, I think to a lot of people really, uh, alien and strange to see a man, to see a man be compassionate and kind and gentle and, and, and like patient, you know, these are not things that you associate with the adults, the adult men in your life and, or the, the adult men on TV. And that, that also made it really special and spoke to me kind of at that age. But then I to think, kind of leap to the to the second part of your yeah. question, you you had asked, you know, if it affected me. Um, I rediscovered his music in my uh, late twenties, early thirties, and and uh, when I was being becoming a father, and and uh, my daughter really got into that that music, and we listened to a lot of it together, and and that that was just sort of the other part that. And I knew at that point that I wanted to, to, to play these songs and, and, and find my, my version of them. I know that you consider him part of just the American songbook um, in, the, in that tradition. And I agree, but I think that the reason why people are enjoying this, I'm assuming people are enjoying this, from what I've seen people are enjoying this, and the Tom Hanks the, movie. The reports, the reports have been favorable. Yes, so. and the documentary. I think it's because there's even fewer men like Mr. Rogers on TV now than when we were children. Um, I don't, I can't attest to that. I don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, although it's just to say, I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV where there would be, you know, broadcasters and, and, and people sure. speaking directly. Sure. Uh, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, yeah, I, I would, I would assume it is. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the other one. Uh, the other one, the other man. Um, even though it's bottle lamente, let's just focus on Lynch, if that's okay. Well, I mean, they. It's um, it's the two of them, really. I mean, I understand they, that. They, I understand they, that. They, but you don't get the music without Lynch. True. So that's why I wanted to focus on Lynch, and and I think the the shared fascination uh we both have with that man is uh is very very interesting to me clearly it's interesting and i think the venn diagram of mr rogers and david lynch there's a ton of crossover there is 
and there is. reading and listening to you talk about this record, people seem to be surprised by that, where to me it's so obvious that it's not even worth mentioning. But apparently I'm in the minority here. Well, it's interesting. I, you know, I feel like people often um, look for the differences and that's something <laughs> that's a very Mr. Rogers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like people tend to look for the differences in people when they should be looking for the similarities. And so it's very easy, right. As a, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the, in the press or elsewhere to sort of like contrast those two, because you look for the things about them uh, that are different and you'll find them for sure. But to me, I, I, I see two very imaginative men who are, um, you know, a product of roughly, you know, similar eras. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, they they dress somewhat similarly. Mm-hmm. They're very gentle in the way that they speak. They're very thoughtful people, and they're very mindful of mm-hmm. of themselves and the people around them. And and their imaginary worlds are vast and very welcoming. And in 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 my view, both of them very encouraging. Oh yeah. Also, um, you know, Twin Peaks and Twin Peaks and uh, 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 what's the name of the imaginary? I'm sorry, I'm blanking on it. The uh, land of make believe, right? Twin Peaks and the land of make believe, uh, uh, a lot in common there. Oh yeah, <laughs> a lot in common. Oh yeah, the the zeitgeist was more on Twin Peaks in 2017 with the Showtime show, but I'm kind of glad that your um, your record came out more recently because it sort of reminded some of the diehards of like, gee, this is this is the best piece of art in the last decade. It was specifically Twin Peaks season three and. Oh. Uh, your record is not Twin Peaks season three. Your record is one and two in Fire Walk with Me. Is that correct? That's correct. But I did. I tried. There were a couple of songs I wanted to do from the return, but the problem with that is um, I wanted it to be Battle of Menti music. And like the fact is, like some of the some of the cues that he did for the return, um, just were too similar to some of the other material that mm-hmm. I was that was already on the record. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, you know, I like the idea that I might maybe do a volume two at some point. You know, okay. I might do that for Mr. Rogers as well. But like, it's not that I return. I excluded the return on purpose. Um, it's more just that like, yeah, like and, and also like the return I, I would be doing. There's like a version of that. Um, that song from episode eight that I thought about doing. I thought about doing the Nine Inch Nails song or the no, no, no. The okay. um, the platters. Got it. Um, or the um, the song by uh otis redding i thought about doing that um but it just also like those those seem to clash with the material also that i had that i was using that and it felt like if i was going to do something that was about the return that should be all about the return and, and i didn't feel like i could make the record cohesive and bring that material into it without it either being redundant or kind of sticking out in a way that that uh detracted from from what's there and i really i'm really happy with with what 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 i made that it feels really cohesive to me and kind of you know a good start to finish when i think of the world uh, of mr roger when i think of the land of make-believe it, it makes me feel positive and it makes me want to create my own thing and, and i leave with a very good feeling no pun intended and when i think of david lynch specifically twin peaks specifically the return the most recent thing i'm almost bowled over by the accomplishment that I, I just want to do nothing other than talk about how great Twin Peaks The Return is. <laughs> and and so the fact that you were able to, you didn't feel too intimidated to approach the the work. The Return? 
No, just in general, doing this after the return. Do oh, you I felt, feel? I, I felt I felt incredibly intimidated because to me, I mean, you know, David Lynch is my my hero. Like he's my he's my favorite. You know, one of my favorite living artists, and um, and 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 that material for me is sacred. So it felt really scary to do it. And then I kind of, you know, I just booked myself. I, I recorded most of it um, in the studio and and then I kind of went home and did a few things on top of it. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, it's either going to work or it's like really not going to work. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 I got a day in the studio. I paid for it. I went in and I just knocked out what I could. And, um, you know, I knew I knew that if I tried to be perf- make it perfect like the versions already are perfect to me. Like, and okay. so how do you cover, how do you cover material that you already find to be perfect and sacred? Well, you just, you just cover it in your own way without, I didn't want to, I didn't want to try to like add anything to it. And this is the same thing with the Mr. Rogers material. I really just wanted to document what it sounds like when I play those songs and inhabit that world. And, um, and whatever I bring to the table just needs to be kind of inherently what I already bring to the table, not not some forethought, you know, scheme or or, or plan that that kind of brings anything into it to 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 contrast the material or make it, uh, uh, you know, do some new spin on it or anything like that. Um, nor try to recreate it perfectly, just to do a version of it where I'm not overthinking it. Both of these men had collaborators that were incredibly important to them. Uh, you don't. You are doing this alone. You do have occasionally other players and stuff like that, but um, do you wish you ever did have a collaborator? Well, I do have a collaborator. As a matter of fact, um, at the moment, uh, Joshua Fitzgerald Klosek, who helped produce the Twin Peaks record with me and, and was really formative in you know, talking about all the ideas that that, that led to me going ahead with the Mr. Rogers record. Um, and of course we produced chase scene and I had a wonderful time together. Uh, he is the closest collaborator that I have. And, um, we, you know, we don't write material together. That's not mm-hmm. really the, the basis of our, our relationship, but, um, he's kind of my second brain and, 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 great friend because he's he's able to kind of you know i have these conversations with him and, and i'll i'll sort of uh tell him what i've been working on and then he'll he'll come back to me and sort of put it in an order that i hadn't really thought of and i'll think okay okay well, this is where we're going with this and then you know the, the, I'll, I'll have conversations with him where i'll kind of complain and whine that i i don't have any new songs and then he'll send me a bunch of things that i've already sent him that i forgot that i sent him mm-hmm you know, and, and say, no, 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 like, you've got this stuff, let's work on this. And, and, um, and of course, he's a, an amazing guitar player and, and, and musician in his own right. So and he's well, all over that Twin Peaks record. Well, I, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I always think of you as a, as a lone gunman. I, as a composer, I am. Okay. I mean, as a, as a composer, I am as a producer, uh, not so much anymore. And I, I, I really have been enjoying that, that and I'm really enjoying you know, um, his contribution to that. I mean, if you listen to the, the EP that I did, uh, I had a wonderful time. It's a great cover too, by the way. 
Oh yeah, that's an that's an Atwood cover. That's, you know that that re- that to me is a record, and it got classified as an EP by Spotify. I shouldn't keep calling it an EP. Well, it, isn't it? It's, it's kind of four. Is it four or five tracks? It's four tracks, but, but they're like, very some long. Of them are, one of them's like you know, uh, ten minutes long or nine minutes long or something mm-hmm. like that. So it just mm-hmm. kind of falls right under thirty minutes total. Yeah. So, you know, you didn't. But, did you? But, was there a quick conversation about like, hey, should we throw some noise at the end of the last track just to like bump it up? I thought we fell. I thought we came in long enough. Okay. I thought we came in long enough. But I think also, I think like Spotify uh, requires it to be five songs and not four. And mm. I might have been off about that. I don't know. But anyway, Josh is all over that, and, and that was something that we made. That's probably the most uh, complete, you know, production that we made together, where we were kind of. Um, like you can hear his like his guitar is all over that, and he's doing crazy things with the guitar. He's bowing it, and he's uh, just you know making these sort of walls of of, of noise, and um, you know it's really just synth, piano, and, and and guitar on that record. I'm assuming you have not played a show in a very long time. So funny enough, I played a show just the other day. <laughs> Where? Uh, well, so, okay, so two things I did. Um, uh, WTTW came to the hideout. They, mm-hmm. The hideout was really nice. Tim was really nice and, and, and let us in there to film me playing some Mr. Rogers songs for PBS. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I played on the stage at the hideout a couple of Mr. Rogers songs, and it made it into the segment. So that felt kind of like playing a show, and that was really nice. It did. Uh, I, 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 I looked terrible in that segment, but... <laughs> I mean, I was pretty sick at that point. Um, not, I should clarify, not with the thing, but I, I, I was not well. Um, so hopefully that, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, I did that and I did, uh, my first live stream show. Now, when everybody started doing that at the beginning of this, I was really in, not into doing it. Mm-hmm. And then I got asked by this guy who, uh, has a, a, a pub in a little English town, and he was a fan and he was really into the music and wanted me to do this. And so I thought, okay, I can do this. It's a pub that only holds 27 people during the, you know, the pandemic. And, and he was, you know, really interested and he, he, he wanted to pay me. And, and, uh, the town, the name of the town is called Barrow in Furnace, which is a really interesting name. Sounds I like a Twin me. Peaks name. It does. Yeah. Like, uh, but it's three words, Barrow I thought it was barrowing furnace, but it's barrow in furnace, like a wheelbarrow in a furnace. And I thought, I can't, I can't not do that. How did so they know I, you? Well, the guy who uh, either is the promoter or runs the pub, he, he, um, he had seen me play probably with the handsome family mm. in, uh, in the UK, probably somewhere like Manchester. That's great. So, cause I think they're close. They're like between Manchester and Scotland. So I did a show for them and I did a show uh, you know, over Zoom, and I, it, it, I thought it was going to be kind of like clunky and shitty, but I hooked up two microphones through my interface, and I could see them, and you know, they would like uh, laugh and, and cheer and things, and uh, it, it was nice. It was a nice little thing. But other than that, no, I've not. Yeah, I've not played any. Do you have any desire to have flesh and blood people that aren't camera crews in front of you and play in a show? I didn't think so. But um, but I do I, yeah. I do I do miss it, man. I mean, I you know how can you not? Like it's recording is the thing that I I 
I record writing and recording is the thing I love most of all. And I often used to say that I would just do that and slide, you know, if they could just slide the money under the door, I'd slide the records back out and that's how we do it. But I, there's something that you learn about your work by playing it for other people. Um, and by putting it in, in, in a sequence like that, where you just sort of play it, um, you know, yeah. uh, for a reaction that, that, that you just can't get anywhere else. And it changes your relationship to the songs, you know, oh, yeah. cause now when I, now when I play these songs, I, I'm, I'm remembering every great and terrible version that I did of them in front of people. And, uh, you know, I talk about them differently and, uh, I miss it. I don't have the, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily feel the urgency that everybody else feels, but it's also because I never really made a whole lot of money performing anyway. I've told people that do similar things to you that you guys are going to be the first and easiest to book and to draw and to do well because you don't need any. I've seen you with a full band. I've seen you solo. Both are great. You don't need anyone else. It could just be you and your voice and a piano. It doesn't matter. Unlike a band that needs a rehearsal space, etc. You're ready to go once there's a vaccine. You're ready to tour if if you want. That's what I mean. I am ready. I'm 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 very ready. I've got the songs. I've been practicing. I do sometimes. I do some Instagram live uh, rehearsals because I hate rehearsing alone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because it's boring. But uh, yeah, I I hope that that's the case, man. I hope you know when the, when the vaccine comes through that will, um, I'll just be getting a lot of shows, but it I've is weird that you're probably one of my few friends where I'm like, Oh, this pandemic is probably barely affecting him or it's going to be a good thing for his art. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's been a good thing, but it hasn't slowed me down too yeah. much. I mean, you know, I lost a lot of stuff, a lot of, but I, what I lost, you know, is nothing compared to what, other people are losing. I just mm-hmm. lost some opportunities, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, and I, and I immediately, I'm pretty adaptable. Like, you know, I've gotten to this point where I think if that had happened like five years ago, I would have just felt, I would have thrown my hands up and just been really upset. But now like, I don't know when something terrible happens, I just kind of, uh, turn into it and just look for, you know, whatever the next thread is to pull on. 